Yeah, I love voting. I'm a nerd for voting. I volunteered to be a poll worker in high school. I think maybe even before I was 18, um, mostly probably at the time to get out of school and get a little bit of um, like Dunkin' Donuts money. But I um, didn't get like very involved in um, local races until after the 2016 election, as a lot of us got um, a bit more motivated. Megan Ross is a comedian, writer, producer, director, and local Austin civic engagement activist. She is our co-host today with Amy Stansbury on this episode of the Austin Common Radio Hour. We are continuing our Austin election series on why local elections matter with our candidate forum for Austin City Council District 10. Thanks to the local Austin singer-songwriters, the Tiara Girls, for lending us the song in the background. And now, on to our host, Amy Stansbury. Hi again, it's time for another episode of the Austin Common Radio Hour. Um, This week we're continuing with our election education series with a conversation with the candidates who are running for city council in District 10, which is in West Austin. Um, But before we go any further, I want to introduce you to Megan Ross, who's going to be co-hosting today's episode with me today. Hi, Megan. Hey, Amy. How's it going? Good. Um, And so you do a whole bunch of things in town. Um, I've come to... Uh, I've like uh, crossed paths with you a bunch of different times in a few different shows, but um, mm-hmm. uh, you do all kinds of stuff. Let's start with um, one thing that you just started lately during quarantine is um, No One Asked for This. Do you want to talk a little bit about it? Yeah. So No One Asked for This was born out of a little bit of boredom and loneliness and um, a comedian's ex- need for external validation um, in, in a world where we're not on stage anymore. Um, so I took a little bit of a piece of that time of the month, which is my all woman and non-binary late night show, and um, turned it into an interview series where each week I talk to women and non-binary experts on social injustices in the world that no one asked for, while I perform an activity at an average to below average skill level that no one asked for. So I've done a light arm workout while talking to Moms Demand Action founder Shannon Watts. And I've um, made a friendship bracelet while talking to um, the United State of Women Executive Director Jordan Brooks. And um, yeah, just have done really random things. I've also talked to some local candidates um, and state candidates like Julie Oliver was our kickoff, um, who's running for U.S. House of Reps District 25. And I baked a sheet cake during that. (laughs) So it's been fun. I've, I've learned a lot of activities while also learning about a lot of more important topics. Um, awesome. Kept me busy each week. And so how can people there. watch that? It's on Instagram, right? Instagram Live, yeah. So at Megan R. Ross, if you find yourself on Instagram, usually it's Thursdays, 6.30 p.m. Um, Central Time. And you mentioned um, that time of the month. I think that's maybe how I first um, met you. That's a comedy show that obviously now is unfortunately on pause because we can't do anything fun like that in person anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but you said you've turned it into a newsletter, actually. Yes, I have. So yeah, usually during the show, um, it, it features com- comedy, music, different talent that are from a, an all-woman non-binary lineup um, of local performers. And then I also interview a strong female leader guest. So there's a little bit of activism and had um, local businesses as 
uh, our sponsor. So I've kind of rolled that into a monthly newsletter with all those types of resources, you know, different issues. So we're always talking about, you know, how we can fight racial and gender inequities in the world and not just in the entertainment industry. Um, and also plugging some local businesses that I love and a lot of resources on getting involved to get out the vote. So cool. you can subscribe. All that info is in my Instagram bio, all those many links and things. Awesome. Um, okay, well, let's get into it. Um, I want to make sure we've got plenty of time to talk with the candidates. Um, but before we kick it over to them, I always like to give like a little bit of a recap or explanation for folks who maybe don't follow local government that much, which is like, who doesn't follow local government, but <laughs> um, let people know a little bit about what we're talking about here in case you're not familiar. Um, so we are going to have on our ballot this November, five of our 10 city council seats are up for election. Um, and I believe then that's districts two, four, six, seven, and 10. Um, we did um, district two last week, so you can listen to that episode already. Um, and you can only vote for the council candidate in the district where you live. So if you live in one of those districts, you'll see council race as one of the things on your ballot this November. Um, but it'll be way down on the ballot. And that's why we like to remind people that these races are important and they matter. Um, and sometimes they get ignored because you have to keep scrolling through, but they're the ones that affect your life oftentimes yeah. the most. They're like the most impactful, like immediately. So it, it should be reverse. We should have to like sift through to get to the president. I know. If I got to design ballots, that's how I would make them. <laughs> For sure. Who and so pick up the phone when I call, like the <laughs> Yeah, that's a great way to put it. That's what I always tell people. It's like, who is the person that's most responsive to you? Mm -hmm. and, and that's the one you should really be paying the most attention to. Mm -hmm. um, and so, Megan, we were talking a little bit before we got started, like what I, I'm curious a little bit of like, what's your civic engagement yeah. journey? You said you've always been passionate about voting. Yeah, I love voting. I'm a nerd for voting. I volunteered to be a poll worker in high school. I think maybe even before I was 18, um, mostly probably at the time to get out of school and get a little bit of um, like Dunkin' Donuts money. But I um, didn't get like very involved in um, local races until after the 2016 election, as a lot of us got um, a bit more motivated, just coincidentally. And then I had moved to Austin um, a, a few weeks before the 2016 election. So that's really when I started paying a way more attention to those local races. I had my District 9 um, up for a city council race in 2018. So the, I, I learned more about my candidates then. I got to meet Danielle Skidmore, who was running, and my friends worked on her campaign. So it was cool to be connected to um, people in that are like live in Austin and who are who are way more accessible um, a lot of times than you know say our, our senators. So that was really the the time between 2016 and 2018 when I got more involved. And now you know I you know, it's it's nice to know my districts. Like there are a lot of things that you should really be looking up instead of just going into the ballot and being like. I have no idea what any of this means. Railroad commissioner, like has nothing to do with <laughs> railroads. Learned that over the last few years. <laughs> totally, yeah, that's the thing I always am, am telling folks that's so cool about the local elections is that, yeah, you can actually meet your candidates. Um, yeah. And, and like literally meet them, which, yeah. is, which is so cool. Like at a dive bar even. Right. <laughs> you know, depending on, you know, their campaign managers, how cool they are. <laughs> All right, let's get into it so people can meet their meet their candidates here. Mm -hmm. We've got um, 
lots of candidates running in the District 10 race. I'm going to run through all their names right now. Uh, just so that you have it in your mind. Um, Robert Thomas, Allison Alter, um, who's the current city council member for District 10, Belinda Green, Bennett Easton, Noelle Tristan, Pujasetti, and Jennifer Verdon. Um, all of the candidates were invited, um, and we've got a few of them on the call here today who are going to be introducing themselves to us and chatting a bit. Um, in order to get started, um, we're going to do kick it off with a little bit of a lightning round style. Um, try and limit these answers to like 30 seconds to a minute. We're not going to be super strict on you candidates, but um, we'd like to get through a lot of these questions so that people have the opportunity to get to know you a bit more. Um, I actually didn't even put it on our list here, but I want to start with and try and keep this this one really short. Just who you are, what you currently do for a living, um, just so people like your, your briefest bio so that people can get to know you a bit more. Um, Allison, can we start with you since you're the current candidate? That's an easy one. Current council member. Sure. Hi. So I'm Allison Alter and I'm the current city council member for District 10. I'm a mom, a small business owner, a community advocate, and a former educator. Um, and I just want to say that I am a big fan of Austin Common and also a big fan of Schoolhouse Rock, which I think really informs um, the approach and I think is super important for getting people engaged and I totally can relate to being the one that you can easily talk to um, and it's one of the things I love about being an elected official at this level of government. Great and what about you Pooja can you introduce yourself uh, briefly for us? Yes hi my name is Pooja Sethi I am an attorney and I also um, represent women who face, immigrant women who face family violence pro bono. I am an Asian Quality of Life Advisory Commissioner as well as um, on the Climate Equity Plan Steering Committee and numerous other task forces in the city of Austin. And um, I am also really excited to be here. I, Austin Common is amazing. We did a, through South Asian Austin Moms, a nonprofit that I founded a few years ago, um, we did a Black Lives Matter event on social media when um, the protests were happening and then I saw it was shared on Austin Common and I had to admit I was just very very excited. Uh, <laughs> so thank you thank you guys so much for having me and for doing this this is wonderful. Yeah and, and Bennett what about you? So Bennett Easton here um, although most people call me Ben and I am a teacher, a writer, um, a philosopher, I'm a father, a divorced father of two boys, um, and let's see, uh, I love community radio, listener sponsor radio, so uh, co-op, right? Um, mm -hmm. It's not COOP, it's co-op, is that correct? That's correct, yes. <laughs> so, so anyway, I love, um, I, I haven't listened to, uh, to it lately, so I'm terrible. I need to listen to it more often, but uh, anyway, I, I really appreciate the chance to be here today, so it's good, it's good to be invited, thank you. Great, okay. Um, so let's get right into the questions. Um, the first one I want to ask is about uh, climate change in Austin. Um, a lot of folks might not even be aware, but our city council does have a big influence on um, our climate change policies here locally. Um, our city is working right now on an update to our climate plan um, that would get us to zero greenhouse gas emissions by, um, I think, 2040 um, is the new goal. Um, so I want to get um, each of your opinions on that plan and um, if you feel like we should be doing more as a city in order to get to those goals and reach those goals and maybe an idea of what we could be 
what we could be focusing on in that regard. Um, Pooja, do you want to start? Sure, yeah. So um, I do support the plan because I'm on the steering committee for the climate equity plan for the city. I'm really excited about it because it took um, equity into serious con uh, consideration when writing the plan. And I have to admit, you know, myself growing up, um, climate, climate change, environment was not a big part of my family. It wasn't a big part of what my parents taught me and what what we were told was important. And so, you know, growing up and then especially having ha after having my own child and seeing where the where we were headed as a community, I started taking more of an interest. And I think it is really important and I appreciate the work that's been done by city council thus far. And um, I think the biggest thing for us is getting our cars off the road. I mean, we're never gonna hit those, those zero emission goals unless we truly come up with ways to get cars off the road. And one big thing for me is not just about getting a public transit plan, but truly also about changing this car culture that we have in Texas. I attended um, pre-COVID an event where it said that you transit in the world, but until we truly change that, that car culture and getting people into a walking mode and getting on public transit is really important. So I think um, the climate equity plan is amazing and I support it wholeheartedly. And I also want us to work with different communities on changing out um, the car culture and getting people onto public transit once we get that approved and figuring out how we can work together as a city on climate change and not just in pockets um, that affect a few. So thanks. Okay, and what about you, Ben? So my view in general is I am, I believe in minimal government. So here I am, you know, a, a candidate for city council, but I believe that government should get involved in business decisions to the least amount possible. Now, clearly the city council does have a true genuine responsibility to, to create a budget, to run the city um, reasonably, to provide infrastructure and various basic services that even us minimal government people believe are, are legit. So when it's time to order new trucks or new motorcycles or new machines, then to take, uh, then to decide to, to, uh, to purchase the next batch of things that run cleaner and greener is a great idea. Yeah, but I would also say, let's look at what, how, much, how much of the cost is being subsidized. Is it a true real cost or is, the state government or the federal government really pumping money in such that it looks like a really good idea, but it ends up ruining the budget and making us go into, into even more debt. So I would be very wary of that. Um, another very general thing, um, this is fairly radical, but uh, I will just say it anyway. So yes, um, cars are not going anywhere. They're not going to go away. I love my car and yet I also am willing to ride a bus or a bicycle or walk. I like to walk. So um, I believe that we could get a lot of drivers off the streets and off the highways if we would enforce traffic laws far stricter than we are now. There are a lot of uninsured motorists out there. There are a lot of crappy drivers out there. And I believe the police should, should make more traffic stops and actually ban bad drivers. I believe that if we treated highways like um, airports treat um, pilots in airplanes, such that to drive is truly not only a privilege, but it's, it's pretty technical to do it well. So I would, I would imagine that 10 or 20 or 30 or 40% of the drivers out there on Austin highways 
should be not on the highways. Get them off, especially if they're not paying their insurance bills. So get them off, then they will be forced to actually contribute to the public transit. Suddenly public transit is now paying for itself. So I think it would be, it would be a way to get the ball rolling and, and legitimize public transit. Thank you. Um, Allison, I wanna bring it to you. I know that um, environmental issues is a, is a good part of your professional and um, volunteer background as well. Thank you, Amy. Um, this plan that we have before us that we're gonna be debating soon, and I believe I'll be the one bringing it before council, is a five-year update of our climate plan. And I had two resolutions last year that really played a lot into shaping it. One of them was on electrification of transportation and recognizing that the next frontier for us to get to net zero has to do with how we electrify our transportation. And so that is not just getting more chargers, but also um, making sure um, that people have access to them and making sure that since we own our utility that we are taking the steps and that we are buying um, we are buying vehicles and creating the infrastructure to be able to do that. And that requires planning. Um, so that was one resolution I passed last year that is very much reflected in the climate plan in terms of action steps. Another I led on was declaring a climate emergency. And in that resolution, you know, we called the climate emergency what it is and said that we needed to act on it. And we accelerated the goals um, when we would achieve the goals, which is also um, reflected in the climate plan. And the third thing that we did, which was also in that same resolution, was to emphasize equity and the importance of environmental justice. And we see that front and center within the plan. So I'm really excited about the conversation that we've had in the community over the plan and the way that yet again, our environmental community has come together to put forward goals um, and strategies to achieve that. And I think that's um, something that Austin can be proud of. And as a city council member, who's very engaged on environmental issues, I recognize that I stand on the shoulders of so many people um, in our city who have advocated and have an opportunity to work with so many who care so deeply. And so I really appreciate it. So many good answers. Um, so we're going to shift it over to uh, a rele relevant issue, um, Prop A. And uh, Pooja, you semi-answered this, but I want you to embellish why you do support, um, which is the Prop A is the 7.1 billion public transit plan. Um, Amy, I actually learned from your um, A Functional Democracy uh, event a couple years ago that the last time Austin or Travis County voted on a big public transit plan, we came very close and we lost by like a handful. I think you like represented solo cups. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, the... we had, yeah, it was twice actually. So in 2000, oh, wow. we had a transit uh, plan on the election and that was the very close one. Okay. I think it lost by less than 2000 votes. And then again, in 2014, we had another transit election as well. So this is, um, this will be this is the third try, yeah. Yeah, so Pooja, can you embellish why you would be supporting it, um, as you mentioned, that how it connects to climate? Um, yeah, it, it's not just climate for me. I also know that um, transit is equity, and I, as an immigration attorney, have seen so many times um, 
people who are on the roads or people who can't afford cars or um, people from our immigrant communities who are frankly too scared to even drive their kids to school these days and having a public transit plan to really help people get around our town, get to school, get to healthcare, get to jobs is so important to me. I know that the tax investment is a big ask, especially for people from District 10. Um, but that's why, you know, a big part of my platform is making sure everyone's voice is heard. And I love that it is on the ballot and um, that people can assess and assess the investment and then hopefully vote for it if it works for them and their family. We'll be voting for it, me and my family, because I know how important this is, how important this is for us. Um, but I think that you know, I think it's very important. I support a public transit plan for me and my family. We just deem it a healthier lifestyle to be able to walk to public transit, to be able to, you know, carry our groceries home. I mean, that's that's the kind of lifestyle that, you know, we want for our family. It's just a greener, healthier lifestyle. Um, I, you know, I also heard some data yesterday that for, you know, if you invest, I heard this from Cat Metro that um, for every dollar that we invest into Project Connect, we will get $4. Um, back into the city towards things like job creation. So I, you know, I deem it an investment and in, for our future. So I hope that we will um, pass this this November. And um, I, I was looking on the, the City of Austin website and I didn't see it, but I know that there was talk about being able to put in your home, your home cost and then see how much taxes that you'll be actually paying. And I think that kind of engagement will also be really great for the community to see how much, um, how much in taxes that you will actually be paying and how much the investment is that will come back to you uh, later on. So yes, I support Prop A. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, shameless plug for Austin Common. You guys have a little <laughs> graphic that shows like an estimate of um, taxes, but it's not exact. Like, uh, yeah, as Pooja men mentioned, it'd be, it changed based on your property value and where you live. But um, yeah, that's a very intersectional issue. I never thought about how important it is for equity. Ben, I think I can guess how, where you stand, but I will ask anyway. Um, Prop A, yes or no, why or why not? Okay. Um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was in a, in a forum of some of similar sort and and I think that I, I was confusing people and maybe even myself. I said, oh, I'm open to the idea of Project Connect. In fact, I love the idea of it because I really do. I mean, I, I want to live in a cleaner, greener, more futuristic, just wonderful cityscape. I mean, that's obvious. But the huge problem is the cost and who's running the show. And in this case, it's government. You know, even if I were elected and I consider myself pretty smart, I would obviously have to study up and really get my brain power going. And I would have to work with, you know, committees and teams of engineers and architects and, and, and smart people. So that, that's obvious. But even under the best circumstances, I don't trust government to run large scale things like this because they almost always turn into boondoggles, almost always. So. It's a fabulous idea, but I would vote against it. And so what I would say instead is probably I like the four or five or six or nine different elements within the, the overall project plan. And I would say, let's not try to vote for them all together and, and be thinking of 10 or 20 or $80 billion. Let's take one at a time and do the old bond, you know, one at a time thing. So that's, that's basically how I'd approach it. Love the idea, but I would split it up and order one plate at a time. Okay, thank you. 
customized menu from Ben. Um, Allison, where do you stand on Prop A um, and why or why not would you vote for it? I've already voted for it. I can't even tell you how many times because we went through a lot of steps before we got to a point where we were comfortable putting Project Connect Prop A before the voters for a vote. Um, and I'll be honest, three years ago, four years ago, when we started on this, I was sort of skeptical if we were going to get to a comprehensive solution that had been the problem before. It wasn't comprehensive enough. It didn't allow us to grow as a city. Um, it didn't really meet all of the needs. This time around, we really took our time. We did an enormous amount of engagement and we listened to people and we put together a plan that I think provides a comprehensive light rail bus rapid transit with park and rides and circulators and all kinds of things that allow people to connect in different ways. Um, what's innovative about this too, which is very helpful for me, is that it is fiscally responsible in that we had become available to us through um, Governor Abbott's um, efforts to cap our ability to raise taxes. He inadvertently created a new mechanism for us to be able to fund this, which is a tax rate election. So this is not a bond and it's very purposely not a bond um, because with a tax rate election, we can cover operations and maintenance, we can cover capital both together. So we're really just giving you one price tag and moving forward with that, we won't have uh, we are not anticipating having huge surprises down the line because we are basically adding cents to the tax rate. Unlike a bond, this won't come as a surprise whenever we go out to fund the bond. It will start right away and be pretty consistent over time. And it's just financially smarter. The other thing is it's a $7 billion project, but what we're doing is pulling down 40 to 45% in federal funding. And the tax rate election is what allows us to do that because we have a convenient stream. But overall, let me just say really quickly, I supported Project Connect because I think we need to reduce congestion. We need to address climate change. We need to um, provide equitable means for people to get around the city. And in the, in the context of COVID, we also need to provide jobs. Great answers all around. Um, I'm all for minimizing traffic um, and then sneaking in that it's actually helping the environment as well. So this is a really big question and this can win or lose you voters. So uh, make sure to answer it carefully. I'll start with Ben. What's your favorite Halloween candy? Good grief. Oh gosh. I love uh, Reese's peanut butter cups, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Solid answer. Uh, Allison, how about yourself? I love $100,000 bars, and I'll just say I love Halloween, and I was RBG for Halloween last year on the dais, um, and so I appreciate your question. Perfect costume. Pooja, what's your favorite Halloween candy? Um, ironically, I think Ben and I might actually agree on one thing for once in one of these sports. I love <laughs> Reese's peanut butter candy. Awesome. <laughs> Um, but lately, it's literally whatever my son will will leave behind, or whatever we can hide while he's sleeping um, from his from his um, candy bag. <laughs> so perfect. Reese well, is the great uniter. Who would have thought? Yeah, Megan. Now I need to know what what's yours. What's your favorite? Oh, like all of everything except for like candy corn. Like I'm not gonna discriminate. I'm I'm a chocolate person, so I'll say like Twix right now. But my answer will change in like 11 minutes. I've got another question for you all. We'll um, 
not Halloween related, unfortunately, even though I wish we could just talk about Halloween the whole time. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about land development code, code next. Um, Megan and I were talking before we started and she was like, do we like code next? What's the deal with that thing again? What's happening? <laughs> and I don't want to I, say the wrong thing. And like, <laughs> I have friends on both sides and I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> tell me how to, tell me how to vote. <laughs> It's, you know, I think it's super confusing and, you know, I've been following this stuff in Austin for a long time and it feels like this issue that um, we haven't tackled. So I, I don't want to spend too long. We could spend a whole conversation on that today. So I'll remind people again that we're trying to minute-ish responses, but like, where are we at right now? And, and Allison, I'll probably have you start since you're a current council member. Like, where are we at right now in our land development code for people who aren't familiar? Again, this is like, kind of like, I always like to describe it as a rule book for what can be built where in the city. And it, it impacts things like density and it can impact displacement and gentrification and housing affordability and the environment, lots of things. But where are we at right now? And what, what do we need to do next? It, it seems like we still have an issue. We still have issues with our land development code, but what are, where do we go from here? And you're giving me a minute to answer. Yeah, that. I know. It's, it's not fair. You can, you can start with a little background. We won't count that against your, your minute. Yeah. I mean, give people a little bit of like, where are we at with this? And then, yeah, I mean, it's so hard. We have a 30 plus year old um, land development code. And as Amy mentioned, those are the rules that guide where and how you can grow. So it affects height, how many units, the uses, what setbacks are, what parking, um, all sorts of things about the environmental um, rules that you need to follow, whether you can tear down trees, the watershed, all of that kind of stuff is all captured within that larger code. Um, and I think there's a broad agreement that we need a new code. Um, the, where we're at right now is we have made several attempts at it. Um, I have not been supportive of the attempts ultimately voting no. Um, but where we are right now is um, we're in court. Um, so the code as adopted did not receive um, nine votes, a super majority. Um, and some residents of the city exercised their rights to protest and took the city to court for not um, following proper procedures from state law for allowing them to protest changes to their property um, before the council and to require a super majority. Um, so we are now waiting for the court ruling. Um, a majority of council, not myself, appealed a decision from a lower court saying that we could not proceed without honoring those rights. Um, and so we are on, on appeal uh, waiting to see what the judge says. So that's kind of where we're at. Um, and if I can just briefly say then um, kind of my view on it. So I voted against um, Code Next. Um, I voted against the son of Code Next, the land development code, first and second readings that we had um, in the fall of last year. Actually, a year ago, we got the release of the first draft of that. Um, and then again in March. Um, and I voted against um, Code Next because the proposed land development code was deeply flawed and I thought that Austin deserved better. Um, we could go into a whole lot of, of the details um, and spend a lot of time on it. Um, but at the end of the day, um, we can pursue a land development code that increases density along our corridors and in our centers um, and get consensus agreement on that 
we can create a land development code that simplifies. What we have to do is decide that we want to land on common sense and not try and go for density at all costs or for NIMBY. And I really do think there is a way forward and we could have been done with this two and a half, three years ago if we had decided um, not to go deep into the neighborhoods. Great, thank you. So that's so helpful to get a little bit of an update. I think for so many people, it's so confusing about what's going on. Um, Pooja, do you want to chime in? Um, where, like, what would you like to see out of a new land development code? And um, maybe what do you feel like you could bring to council if you were elected to get this unstuck a little bit or to move this forward? Yeah, um, so I will say one of the things is, and one of the things I, I have heard from you guys a couple times is that it's confusing. And I think that was one of my biggest issues with the land development code. It was confusing. It was confusing for the average homeowner, the average you know, person renter, the average person buying a property. And that's not fair to me to uh, Austinite people who are getting or investing in problem, you know, for some of us, our only asset or our biggest purchase um, for many of us, we should, we should be able to know what, where, what our neighborhoods are going to look like. So through my um, being on the Asian Quality of Life Commission, I had actually put in a resolution to make it um, easier to read, ask, ask for more engagement with um, different communities, especially communities of color and um, translation options into a lot of different languages, which they ended up doing, which was good. But um, yeah, I would like to see a land development code that is um, easier to read, understood by everybody, has more community engagement, also pushes more um, afford on affordability. And also, um, you know, if we do have this new transit that gets approved in November, I would love to see us have a land development code. And I would approve one that um, put more, you know, development around our transit line so that we can create, you know, neighborhoods where people can walk to transit and get to school, get to, get to homes, get to their, get to their work, and that people can really um, not have to purchase expensive cars and, and pay with all the fees with that. So that's really what it is about for me, accessibility, affordability, and really um, community engagement with the land development code. And that's what I would look for if I was on the dice. Hey, and what about you, Ben? Um, if you were elected, I mean, what are you looking for out of a new land development code for our city? Okay, so <clears throat> certainly a land development code needs to exist. It's, it's a genuine, um, legit function of local city government. Because um, a lot of times I think that there are illegitimate uh, uh, projects and and things that, that are grown by government that I would just say abolish and move on. Let the private world deal with it generally better. Um, but the land development code needs to exist. And as Allison said, it's 30 years old. So updating it, probably a great idea. I've seen a few paragraphs of it. I've seen a few pages in, in various emails and it's a giant thing, it's a monster. So I haven't read it, to be, to be clear, I, I haven't read it. If I were elected, of course I would read it and then I would study it carefully and then I would get my editing cap on. Um, I'm a writer, I'm a damn good editor. I love you know, uh, punctuation, commas, semicolons. I mean, I read things carefully and I'm not satisfied till I understand it comprehensively. And I appreciate that, that a 900 page document is ridiculous. I don't know how long it is, but 900 pages 
should probably turn into 30 pages or 50 pages. Or like 1,500. Oh, 1,800. Okay. So it's, it's, it's gigantically too long, no doubt. So all I can say is just my philosophy is trim the holy heck out of it, make it more clear. Um, but, but like so far, I'm just sort of walking the fine line. I want to be real clear though. What makes me different from um, the other candidates is that I don't believe I don't use the battle cry of affordability or gentrification. I live in an apartment in District 10. I can't afford a house. Now, I can't afford a house close to where I want to be, which is near my boys and my ex-wife. Okay, so I choose to live close to my boys because I'm, you know, I'm a father. I'm still engaged with their, even though they're in high school, but I can't afford a house. So guess what? Tough luck. I can go get a job and make more money. I'm semi-retired. I started you know, working again as a teacher to make more money, to pay the very high rent, which I pay here in District 10. But I have a nice place, it's groovy. But you know what? I'm not crying to anybody to go you know, make government housing or public subsidized housing. You know, gentrification and equity and all that, I think that's, these are battle cries of, of victim groups. And I don't care what color you are, brown, green, blue, black, polka dot, it doesn't matter. Let the developers and the architects look at the code and then build what they think they can make a profit on and renters like me and homeowners like you will get the best that, that the market will, will afford or, or will provide and you afford. So I believe in free trade, free market and smart developers and I know many of them and they do their damnedest to create really good mid-rises, high-rises, low-rises, duplexes and apartment complexes so that all of us can live in decent comfort. Thank you. Megan, I'm wondering if we want to jump ahead to our like bigger discussion topic to our last question here. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Since we're, we're running short on time. time. Mm -hmm. And this will definitely require a lot of never let some politicians just have free time <laughs> with no buzzer if you want it in 30 seconds. I know, it's rough. It's, it's crazy. Everyone, we were just saying, it's like, just, you guys can just talk and talk and talk. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, so Megan, we were saying, you know, I think we want to kind of close with opportunity for a little bit longer answers to here. We can go back and forth a bit, but we want to talk about um, the police budget. Um, so this is something that obviously was a huge issue this whole summer. Um, city council, you know, made some historic votes or votes that you've never made before around um, changing the police department budget, um, cutting portions of it and reallocating a good portion of it to um, different city departments potentially or looking into doing that. Other city services, um, you know, Megan, I was, we were talking before, it's something, it's also an area where we saw a lot of people get engaged in, in the budget process yeah. that maybe hadn't in the past. Yeah, a lot of my comedian friends, I mean, a lot of them are outspoken too about issues in general, but this really brought out everybody. And um, I remember that there's a link going around where you can like make your ideal budget. It felt like like Sims, like building a theme park. And I was like, like moving the police budget like way down and like like putting like parks and housing and all the other things like way up. Um, I think I gave like an insane amount to libraries, but um, this is why I'm not a city council member running. 
but um, I do think it's an important issue. Maybe you should be. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Um, I do think it's an important issue uh, for all three candidates to to weigh in on. Um, And I think we can, we can kick it off with Allison because uh, you voted on this budget, but around the, the police funding and reallocating resources for public safety, mental health, all the other areas that will basically um, make Austin safer and um, help fight against police brutality. And Allison, I'll just chime in real quick too, if you could um, share a little bit, I know that you were really engaged in this process around EMS funding in particular, and um, if you could talk about your work with that. Thank you, I'll be happy to talk about this. Before I go into details about what we did in the budget, I think it's really important for people to understand that where we landed was not um, framed solely by what happened in May and June with respect to the response to Mr. Floyd's death. Um, We have been working as a council to rethink how we deliver public safety in a lot of different ways over the last several years. Um, And one of the focal points of the budget um, was the cadet training and whether or not it made sense to invest in that now when we had so many other needs. And I just want to remind folks that back in December of 2019, Councilmember Harper Madison put forward a resolution that we passed unanimously, which called on the city manager to revamp the training academy. And that was in response um, to reported uh, racist remarks by an assistant chief. It was in response to really high attrition rates in the cadet academy Um, and interviews of folks coming out of the academy, particularly people of color, that it was creating warriors and not guardians and and was dysfunctional in a lot of ways. And so that process was set in motion specifically for the Get Get Academy long before the protests. Um, And we let Academy go forward in February. That was already in the works, but we made it very clear that we needed a revamped Academy by June. Um, That did not happen. And so when we got to the point of making our budget decisions, um, we decided to reinvest the money that would have gone into the academy um, and into those positions into other things that we as a board with limited resources decided would have a better return for public safety. So that included things like investments in EMS, investments in community health paramedics to help the homeless, domestic violence shelter and services, um, substance use programs, and a host of other things, big or small, uh, permit supportive housing as well. Um, The piece that Amy mentioned um, with respect to EMS is a piece that I championed, which was we have been challenged by COVID, um, particularly in the central city, and we decide, we define the central city as very, very large. Um, And we found that, you know, this has been going on for a while, but was exacerbated with COVID is that we were having to send our ambulances from outlying areas into the city, into the central area of the city, so that there would be ambulances. And we had some days in July where we did not have enough ambulances because of COVID. Now with COVID, you have to change over your ambulances in different ways. It becomes challenging. Um, And so what we did is we decided at this point in time, a really big threat for our city is COVID. Um, We haven't invested um, a lot recently in EMS. We had done so about four or five years ago. Um, And so I proposed that we would add 
two additional ambulances and 46 EMS medics and support staff, some of which staff the ambulances, some of which staff the pandemic hotlines, which are the people who are answering um, you know, questions and helping to direct people to healthcare. And those will continue either as pandemic if needed or um, in other ways to get people more of their healthcare. Um, we also um, you know, changed up the shift for EMS so that it would be 2472 a year early. And that was a response to COVID to help people move forward. Um, so one big piece of what we did in August at the budget was this reinvestment. And we took about $20 million, which is about 5% of the police budget. And we reinvested in other things that we thought would be important for public safety um, right now. Um, we then took about $130 million worth of functions and put them into some other categories and said, we want to study these more. One of those buckets, we think we're very much likely to be able to make some changes. Um, and that we call the decouple fund, another we called the reimagine fund. Um, in some ways, these were aspirational and there's a lot of work still to be done. Those budgets are still under the control of the chief of police. Um, but it's things like the forensics lab, which we are asking, should we move that out? Should we put that under um, different leadership? Is there value in 911 being under other leadership than police so that we're directing calls, not always defaulting um, to the police? None of that, no less money is being spent on public safety. No officer lost their job. And in fact, our officers got a 2% raise. Um, so as we're doing this, um, I think it's important for your viewers to understand that. And we have engage we're engaging the public in this next steps of the process. And um, Pooja, maybe do you want to go next? I, um, I know that you have a lot of um, experience. You served on a few different um, resident like boards and commissions related to this. Can you um, give people a little background in case they're not familiar with that, some of the work you've done and um, kind of your, your take on what city council has done so far and, and maybe talk a little bit about, you know, like Allison alluded to, uh, there's still a lot of work to do in this um, space. So if you were elected, you know, what would you, how would you advance this or um, work towards um, this reimagining of public safety? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's kind of funny. I actually have my undergrad degree from George Washington in um, criminal justice. So the fact that this became just such a big part of um, my candidacy is actually very exciting to me because I love to speak about um, criminal justice and criminal justice reform and how we can move together as a city. So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk a little bit about you know being an immigration attorney and some of some of what I've seen as well as um, so I was on the Office of Police Oversight for the um, when they when they revamped it and so I was on that advisory committee for a year as well as we've done a lot of work through the Asian American Quality of Life Commission on that as well as um, even with the Asian Chamber and just kind of bringing all communities to the table as to what public safety looks like has been very important to me. Um, so, and I was also on the Criminal Justice Committee for the Mayor's Task Force of Undoing Racism and um, Diminishing Systemic Inequities. So I will say um, one story is, you know, after the 2016 election, I had a gentleman on my doorstep who said, um, who, who, you know, didn't have, he was undocumented and he had said, 
I'm, I'm nervous about my status. I'm nervous about what's going to happen. And I said, well, you know, just try to stay off the road and stay safe. And then a few months later, I actually got a call from his 17-year-old son that this man who has been living in our city in Austin, is an Austin resident for the past 20 years, was um, pulled over for running a stop sign and ended up in our Travis County Jail and uh, went to ICE detention and is now in um, deportation hearings. And so it made me realize that there's things that we can do as a city to really protect all of our residents. And that's why I am a major advocate for um, some serious police reform and police training and how we can really get rid of some of these systemic inequities and really keep people safe. Moving forward, um, you had asked, so I have a community centers plan on my website because you know, like I said, I work with a lot of underserved communities and communities who don't have a voice here in Austin and um, in our district. And I also represent women who have, um, immigrant women who have faced um, violence, family violence. And I know that having a police officer come to their home is not always the ideal situation. A lot of women are scared to call the police. They're scared for their neighbors to see, or they're scared for their abuser to know that they have, um, call the police in case nothing happens and they have to live with this person. So my community centers plan is um, really bringing services back into our neighborhoods and it's around, you know, victim services. If you suffer from some from violence, it's around equity. It's around, um, you know, mental health resources on my street alone last year, somebody suffered from a mental health um, episode and he didn't know who to call and he was too scared to call the police. And there were neighbors that were literally outside his home for a few days because his family lived in India and they were waiting for parents to come and, and come and help him. And so they were, they were camped outside his house 24 hours a day. And so this is why, you know, I bring, I bring this community centers plan with a lot of, um, groundwork and from what I've seen, just being in the community and advocating for the community. So it is community centers plan, they'll be regional based and it's really bringing city resources into the community to make sure that every single person has access to the resources that they need to feel safe. And that's how I would move forward. I know I'm over my time, so I'll, I'll, I'll stop. It's on my website. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, ben, where do you stand on, um, the response that Austin City Council took this year with the, the budget changes and what you would do uh, if you were to be elected as a city council member. So first of all, I would say that council member Alter spoke very articulately and clearly with, with good knowledgeable detail. And, and I liked generally the way she described her role and even the role of the council as a whole, because often, you know, contexts change. Um, budgets must be massaged and manipulated. And the fact that they were doing their best to stay within the budget is wonderful. So um, that being said, um, gosh, I got so much to say, but I don't want to go over either. So I'll just say that, you know, again, I, I'm the candidate. I don't know what the hell kind of candidate am I? I on, the, on the one hand, I like to say I'm the common sense candidate. I mean, what does that mean? I'm the outspoken candidate. I'm the non-PC candidate. So Let's see, what does that mean? So first of all, take systemic racism. I don't believe the Austin Police Department has systemic racism. And what I mean by that is systemic is, is an adjective that means built into the system. So if anyone wants to claim that Austin Police Department has you know, racism built into it, I would say you're an idiot and that's absurd. That's absolutely wrong. Now, 
Are there some bad apples in this police department? Probably. Yeah. And you know what? Society, given everything that's been going on over the last weeks and months and years and decades, and by the way, I think I'm the oldest one here. I'm 61 years old. So I think that, that I've got some age and life experience on pretty much everybody here. So what I've seen is every year of my life, people are getting um, more knowledgeable, sort of friendly, uh, about this whole equity, equality, gender, race, you know, socioeconomic, this demographic, that. Everyone is getting smarter and, and, and more careful. I believe way too, way too careful, frankly. So like for instance, nowadays the police don't feel like they can actually enforce the law. So protesters, some of them have turned into rioters and the police don't feel supported by the community and they won't actually you know, go grab and handcuff the perpetrators who are throwing and firebombing and stealing and breaking and entering and doing truly criminal victim, excuse me, not victim, but, but thuggish behavior. So the police are depowered by, by, the, by the shift in the pendulum of, of political philosophy. And I'm horrified by that. I'm appalled by that. Um, I wasn't downtown when it happened, but no doubt a group of people painted yellow letters on Congress Avenue. I'm appalled by that. I don't believe in that. Black Lives Austin or whatever it says, that's outrageous. That should be cleaned, power washed. Whoever did it should be um, arrested. So who was complicit in that? The police probably stood by because again, the, the pendulum has done swung way too far. I don't, when I'm writing the word black, I'm not gonna capitalize it, that's outrageous. If you're gonna capitalize black, then, then capitalize white, yellow, and red, and green. It's outrageous. Okay, so what else can I say before I need to shut up? Um, <laughs> I, we're we're running a little short on time. I'm I... at, so, I, so I'm just gonna stop right there. And, and by the way, one more thing. Again, to give your viewers and listeners a little, you know, a little, a little entertainment, but like I'm, I'm older, I'm white, I'm male, I'm old school, I'm a dinosaur, I'm a caveman, whatever. But you know, like this whole pronoun thing. I, I, I did a survey the other day and it was like, what are your pronouns? Guess what? I don't, I don't even know what that is. Actually I do, but I think it's outrageous. I, I don't use different pronouns than I was raised on. And I don't think that's racist. I don't think that that's, that's low brow. I think, it's, I think it's outrageous and ridiculous the way the language is being outlawed and filtered. And there you go, thanks. Okay, yeah, we're, we're just about at our time, obviously. Yeah. Um, I liked your Halloween candy answer a lot better than that. <laughs> and I'll just quickly plug that um, one of my friends was responsible for the Black Lives Matter Austin um, mural and uh, Gabby Pritchard, who um, works with Austin Justice Coalition, who did get approval by the city um, and I believe there were even police there uh, assuring uh, there were city workers there. Mayor Adler was there. So that was 100% approved by the city um, and a beautiful mural, um, Austin Justice Coalition. Um, before we close, thank you for, for sharing that, Megan. Before we close, um, we were talking really quick. Um, Megan and I were before the show. And one thing I thought maybe you could share so we can wrap things up, Megan, is we're talking about voting plans. So obviously with the pandemic, it's a lot of people I think are confused about 
voting. I'm not going to ask you who you're voting for, but can I ask how you're voting, Megan? What's your plan for voting? Are you early voting, mail-in voting? Um, what's yeah. your... I'm, I'm an early voting gal. I love going to the Millennium Complex because I like voting with um, arcade sounds behind me and like the sound of like uh, Mortal Kombat, finish him. Um, so I'll be early voting. I'm going to try to find the sweet spot because I know the first day is going to be pretty crazy on October 13th. So early voting safely with a mask on. And then on election day, I'll be a poll worker um, so that I don't have to know what's happening all day long <laughs> and can be distracted. Um, so I'm excited for, for both of those opportunities. How about you? Uh, I'll be early voting as well. I'm, I'm an early voter. Um, but I like to wait until it gets a little closer to the election. You know, I like to keep my options open, make sure someone doesn't say or do something crazy in those last few days. That's that a chance. <laughs> but this year is definitely different. And, and I have to remind people again, we get a lot of questions about early voting. You don't have to do anything special to early vote. You don't have to fill out a form or be qualified or whatever. You just go just like you would normally vote. And especially because people are concerned about social distancing and the pandemic, you'll, you, you do have a decent amount of time to early vote this year. Like you said, it starts October 13th. So um, definitely recommend it. And I always am on that votetravis.com website. It has um, little red, green. I just oh, got corrected yesterday. Yeah, got it. People are writing it in chalk in my neighborhood. It's really cute. Nice. And they, they'll tell you like real time wait time. So I am a big fan of that too. And I'm like always trying to make sure I'm not stuck in line somewhere. So um, good tips. Love it. Um, before we close, candidates, I'm holding you to this now. I want, we're just going to go around and just say your name one more time and a website or a way that people can learn more about you. Just your name and your website. And then we can wrap up because we're already over time. So Allison, can you start real quick? My name is Allison Alter and you can learn more about what I've accomplished on city council at allisonalter.com and that's Allison with one L. Great. And Ben? Um, yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. Yes, Ben Easton. And you may learn more about my amazing, emphatic, bizarre views at beneastondistrict10.org. Thank you very much. Okay, and Pooja. Pooja Sethi, and you can see uh, my plans on how I want to build bridges across the city at poojaforaustin.com. Thank you. Great. And I just want to remind everyone that you can find podcasts of our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and now also Google Podcasts. Uh, to learn more about the Austin Common, you can visit our website at theaustincommon.com or follow us on Instagram at the underscore Austin underscore common. Um, the show is hosted by myself, Amy Sansbury, and co-hosted today by the amazing Megan Ross. Um, and it's produced by John Hoffner and broadcast via Co-op Studios which is a cooperatively run community radio station based in Austin, Texas. You can listen to all of Co-op's amazing lineup of shows by visiting koop.org or tuning into 91.7 FM. And make sure to join us next week because we'll be continuing our election education series with a special focus on the race for Austin's next District 6 council member who serves Northwest Austin. Okay, that's it. Thank you all for joining us um, and remember to vote. <laughs>